And uh, thank you, worship team, for leading us in God's presence. It's a cool song that um, God gave to Connor. And um, I'm pretty impressed, Connor. Um, but it reminded me of something I kind of wrote in fifth grade. Called, it's a little poem. It says, I'd like to soon go to the moon, face to face in outer space. I'd like to then go see Mars after that burn up in the stars. So, Connor, I was wondering if you put music to that for next week. Because, you know, we're, we're gifted here, too. No. <clears throat> well, we're talking about Psalm 100 today, which is a psalm of praise. We're working through the uh, books of psalms. Uh, not all the psalms, but various psalms in the psaltery. And uh, there's a professor from Trinity College and Seminary in Deerfield, Illinois, named Carson. D.A. Carson, and he taught there for years. For about 35 years, he would interface with uh, college students and seminary students who shared a campus, and he said he would, uh, he, he enjoyed that, but not until like a dozen years, now it would be about 20 years ago, not until about 20 years ago did he start receiving questions that he, he never had to answer before from college students, such as this. He said, amongst human beings, anyone who grasps for all the attention and praise from others, anyone who wants to be the focus of everybody's constant attention and admiration would be thought of as a massive egocentric. Well, the God professor you are trying to push on us looks an awful lot like that, one who demands that we praise him all the time. For goodness sake, is he that insecure or simply morally defective? And then Carson goes on, until fairly recently, most of the students I talked to were raised in a Judeo-Christian ethic and upbringing, which held that there was a sovereign, transcendent God, and that he is unique and deserves special attention. But now things have changed. Interesting insight into the post-Christian world we now live in. How would you respond to students who pose those types of questions, like, why is your God such an egomaniac who demands our praise? Well, I've preached on this before, so we're not going to spend the entire sermon on this, but I'd like to review four, four ways that I would respond before we look at how we can be people of praise. First way I'd respond to uh, an assertion like that would be that God doesn't need our prayers. He's self-sufficient. He's all-sufficient. He doesn't need us, but he deserves our praise and thanksgiving because he is worthy. Okay, what does that mean? He is worthy. If you visited an art gallery and there was an artist who was on location being honored for his or her pieces of artwork, then, and if you greatly admired the artwork, then it would be very appropriate for you to express your praise and admiration not only for the artwork, but for the artist, to the artist's. And it would be highly inappropriate if you were to withhold your words of affirmation. We appropriately express our praise to athletes after games. They get interviewed and we celebrate with them on the field. Or musicians after concerts. Or actors after their performances. And it's appropriate. If a high school debate team were to kind of dominate the weekend competition uh, by the end day when they had the award ceremony, it would be highly inappropriate if 
the award or top trophy was giving to an, given to another high school and all the attention who didn't dominate. It wouldn't be right. Well, it's right to give God praise because he is worthy of our praise and thanksgiving for countless reasons. If, you've got, if you got out of bed this morning, he's worthy of your praise. If you took your first breath, he's worthy of praise. After all, Scripture tells us in Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He gives everyone life and breath and everything else. If you're breathing here this morning, it's because God is alive and he's allowing it. And he deserves your praise and thanksgiving. Colossians 3, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, including your atoms and your chromosomes. If he goes like this, the world as we know it would cease if he wanted to. He holds everything together. If this is the God who is true, the God we worship, then this is who he is. And if that's who he is, he is worthy of our praise. If you woke up and ate breakfast this morning, he's worthy. If you got dressed, if you drove your car to church, if you conversed with friends, if you sang out loud this morning, in tune, or maybe even out of tune, if you worship freely this morning, if you know that you're eternally secure, then God is worthy of our praise. Psalm 103, we praise him because it is he who made us and we are his We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Verse 5, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever and his faithfulness continues through all generations. He's worthy of our praise because he is faithful and will always be faithful. What conceivable good would come out of worshiping a God who's not that? If God were to say, hey, don't give me too much worship. I'm, I'm just one of you guys, you know. Slightly ratchet up, up a little bit because, you know, I'm maybe a little higher than you, but don't focus on me too much. Well, that wouldn't be a God worthy of our praise and worship and thanksgiving. It would not be right and true and proper to withhold our thanksgiving from the God whom we serve, who created us. In fact, indeed, we owe, owe him our very life and our breath and our existence. Secondly, uh, not only is he worthy, but we were created to praise and worship him. It's, it's our primary purpose for which we exist and why we're alive, to worship him. All things have been created by him and for him, the Apostle Paul says. By him and for him, we were created for God, for eternity, What does that mean? Well, on occasion, we buy new appliances for our households and because they break down. And if we're to go to church and buy a a toaster because our other toaster broke and we put bread in the toaster and it pops up and we're ready for a good breakfast, but it's still bread. It didn't toast. Then you put it down again and you wait and it finally pops up and it's still bread. Then you would return the toaster because the elements are not working It is not fulfilling the purpose for which it was created and designed. We could be that way. We could not fulfill our purpose. We've been created and designed by God and for God for the purpose of loving him and serving him and worshiping him. Colossians 1.16, all things have been created by him and for him. 
It's, a, it's, it's truly a supreme act of God for God to require us to worship him because that's when we discover our purpose. Thirdly, our praise and worship of God has a fringe benefit for us. It benefits us, and God knows that it will benefit us. C.S. Lewis put it this way, people spontaneously praise whatever they value, and they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Like if if you see this cute little puppy, you know, at the dog park or just walking around and say, hey, Lynn, check out that cute dog. Oh, my gosh, that dog is so cute. We want to share it. Or, man, did you eat at the new, that new restaurant? The food is amazing. you got to eat there. Doesn't she look beautiful in her prom dress? Did you see that game last night? Man, double overtime. It was awesome. you got to watch it. Read about it, at least. C.S. Lewis goes on, he says, we delight to praise what we enjoy because our praise not merely expresses that joy, but it completes that joy. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. Their joy is incomplete until it's expressed. And God knows that he created us that way. He wired us that way. He wants us to be people filled with his joy. God knows, though, that the greatest joy will come as we draw near to him, as we first and foremost praise and worship him. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 16, you you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, God, there's the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We benefit from praising God. Fourthly, Our words of praise and thanksgiving actually please God, and we want to please God. If we're Christians, we want to please him. Apostle Paul says, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. When our kids express words of appreciation to us as parents, then are we not pleased and encouraged by their words? Dad, man, your advice was really helpful. Or Dad... You look good. Have you been working out? Or thank you for your generosity. And I really long to hear those words from my kids. No. <laughs> or mom, uh, thank you. Thank you for the gift, man. I love it. Thank you for the great meal. I'm really looking forward to spending time with you at Thanksgiving. You know, when our kids have positive words like that, then it just warms our hearts and it, it, it pleases us. On the other hand, if our children never respond with thankful hearts or ever express appreciation to us, then we'll be greatly disappointed and grieved. A small boy boy was given an orange by a nice man, and so the mom said, what do you say to the nice gentleman who gave you this orange? Handing the orange back to the guy, the kid says, peel it. Even worse, though, if our children regularly gripe and complain if the, and they display a sense of entitlement when they don't get their way as if we exist to fulfill all their needs, you know, as parents, if we raise kids like that, it will grieve our hearts. And Dr. Dale Robbins' counselor writes, I used to think people complained because they had problems, but I have found in my, in my practice that people have problems because they complain. Complaining never makes a situation better, 
and generally it makes it worse. It amplifies discontentment, discord, and frustration. The psalmist would agree. He said, I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. And Paul the Apostle would agree, do everything without grumbling or complaining or arguing. Well, we can grieve God's heart and please him, or we could complain. It really depends on how we choose to deal with life as it comes our way. I love how this one woman wrote about it on Facebook. I read in the right there. She said, she said I'm grateful for early wake-ups because it means I have children to love. I'm grateful for a house to clean because it means I have a safe place to live. I'm grateful for laundry because it means we have clothes to wear. I'm grateful and thankful for dishes to wash because we have food to eat. Grateful for crumbs under the table because it means we have family meals together. I'm grateful for grocery shopping because it means we have money to provide for our needs. I'm thankful for toilets to clean because it means we have indoor plumbing in an apartment or house. I'm grateful for lots of noise because there are people in my life. I'm grateful for endless questions about homework because it means our, my, our, my kids' brains are growing. I'm grateful to be sore and tired in bed because it means I'm still alive. Amen, she says. So we have those four reasons to respond to people who think God is a God of an egomaniac, you know, guy who needs our praises. He does not. But he wired us this way, and he, it benefits us as well. So what would it look like if we were to be people of praise? And this is the practical uh, section of the sermon. Spent a few minutes on Psalm 100. And Psalm 100 has seven imperatives, or seven commands, or, or this is what it looks like. These seven verbs is what it looks like if you are a person of praise. They'll be present in your lives. Psalm 100. Well, shout for joy, all the earth. The first imperative is shout. Verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Thirdly, come before him with joyful songs. Fourth, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Fifth, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Sixth, give thanks to him. And seventh, praise his name, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. Faithfulness to all generations. So the first imperative is shout. Um, if we're to be people of praise, we will occasionally shout. Shout for joy. Not shout in anger or retaliation, but shout for joy all the earth. When was the last time you shouted for joy? Could it be last night when you're watching K-State KU game? When was the last time you grieved and started heaving with pain? Could it be the KU-K-State game yesterday? <laughs> um, it could have been a wrestling match. It could have been at a concert. Wah! And you love that music. How about at church? When was the last time you shouted for joy in church? I know Jake did last week. And we also sang a song last week. Let everything, everything, that his breath, that his breath, praise the Lord. We did that, and some of you were thinking, this is not appropriate to shout in church. No, it's commanded, on the other hand, it's commanded not only to shout, but also to clap, because ruah, ruah, 
So that's not like a military term. Ruah is the Hebrew word for um, shout. Jeremy, is that ruah? Is that military? Jeremy, are you paying attention, Pastor Jeremy? It's not ruah, something like that? Yeehaw? No, all right. Ruah, a verb, to shout. It means to raise a sound, to cry out, to give a blast. It's a war cry, an alarm in battle, a shout of triumph, or a shout with applause. That's what shout means here. Shout for joy. Shout unto the Lord. The second verb or, or uh, imperative is to serve the Lord with gladness. Serve. Other translations have worship. Serve and worship. Same Hebrew word. We worship God by serving him. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 12 that I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We worship by offering our bodies in service. Serve and worship. Verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. This word gladness would, could be translated jubilation. Not obligation, but jubilation. We serve in jubilation, not out of obligation. The life of service that we're called to, that we're created for, is a want to. It's not a have to. It's like telling a kid... Um, a have to would be eat your vegetables or eat your broccoli. That's a have to. They go, you know. But a want to is eat your ice cream, eat your pizza, and they'll want to. And that's what we're wired to do. We're created to serve God and worship Him in that way. It's something that will be fulfilling and life giving to us when we use our gifts, our spiritual giftedness, to serve Him. It won't be a chore. Just have to find what we're called to do according to our gifts, and it will be fulfilling and rewarding. And when we serve God, we're told we're serving, we serve God by serving others. On Facebook, again, you probably, many of you saw this, this is going around the past two weeks. A teacher gave a balloon to every student in the school, hundreds of students, who had to inflate their balloon, balloon write it, write their names on it and throw it in the hallway. They were mixed up, and then the teacher released them from the classrooms and gave them five minutes to find their own balloon. And during this hectic, mad scramble and search, very few students found their balloons. And then everyone was instructed, okay, drop your balloons, go back in the room, mix them up again, and then come out again, and now this one wants you to pick up the first balloon you see and find the person whose name is written upon the balloon. And within five minutes, everyone had their balloon. The teacher then gave this lesson. These balloons represent joy and happiness. We'll never find joy and happiness if everyone's looking out for their own interests. But if we look out for the interests of others, if we serve them and care for them, then we will find joy. We'll find ours too. It's better to give than to receive because God has wired us that way to find our joy and our purpose and our life in serving. The third imperative of seven or come before. Come before him with joyful songs. God invites us to come before him. And this word come before in the Hebrew is literally come before him face to face, intimately. This is a personal invitation to know and experience his presence. James tells us, come near to God, 
and then he will come near to you. He waits. And he invites us, come all who are weary, and I will give you rest. I will meet you right where you are. The fourth imperative is to know the Lord. Know the Lord is God. Luke 10, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. I remember Pastor Tim Holgerson, who used to be our worship pastor here, associate pastor, he said, I was raised in a tradition where worshiping God was all about feelings, and my wife was, she was a celebrative, and she felt God's presence, and here I am, a contemplative. I'm a thinker. She's a feeler, and I felt guilty, guilty for not worshiping like so many other people in my tradition until I learned that God wants us to worship him and love him with all our minds as well, all our minds. And he said, that set me free. To know God uh, is to use our minds to glorify him and think great thoughts, be students of God's word. But to know is also, in scripture, a term of intimacy. It's, It's how married couples come together and they know each other intimately. Someone might say, a kid might say, I know Patrick Mahomes, I call him my homie. And, you know, I went to a game, and I got a selfie with my friend, Mahomes. And I, and I got his autographed card, and, and I know all of his stats, and I have his poster hanging in my room. I know Mahomes, but he really doesn't know me. We can know God that way. We can know about him and, and think, and he doesn't know me. But the fact is, God does know us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he invites us to know him because we belong to him. In verse 3, it is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. If you've ever been to a golf tournament, there's ropes that separate you from the golfers, the pros, you know. You can't cross over that or you get kicked out. Well, Jack Nicklaus was playing and he was, mem- he was remembering a highlight in his life when he was playing and his son Jackie ran under the ropes, outstretched arms, jumped into his dad's arms on live TV, television. And everyone gasped, but he said, this was a highlight. Oh, I remember that because I know my son. To me, I'm just a professional, I mean, to others, I'm just a professional golfer, but to my son, I'm dad. And I know him, and he knows me. That's the type of knowledge that we're invited to to worship God with. Know that we belong to our Heavenly Father. We know him and he knows us. And the fifth imperative out of seven is enter. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. This word entering suggests an intentionality, a movement on our parts. Again, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He waits. God desires to meet with us regularly, but he waits. Entering his courts and his gates might suggest a place, a specific place. God desires for us to gather together in community. Remember, we are the sheep of his pasture, and sheep are meant to be in flocks together. Where two or more are gathered, there I am in your midst, Jesus said, with you in a very special way. In Scripture, God commanded his people to gather together for regular times of worship, and he commanded in the Old Testament Israel to gather together 
seven times to celebrate feasts and festivals. Every year they were commanded to do so, to celebrate together. And some of these celebrations were over a week long away from their homes. He takes this seriously, but we say, I don't need the church. I don't need other people. It's me and Jesus. I'm going to heaven, and, and I got an intimate relationship with me and Jesus. I sit on my chair and have quiet time. And it sounds admirable, but it's unbiblical. It's like claiming, my arm is strong. Man, I work out every day. This arm, this right arm, man, you should see it pitch a fastball. 90 miles an hour. All right, 60 miles an hour. Okay, 90 miles an hour. And it looks good if I say so myself. Look at that gun. I don't need the body. I'm going to disconnect myself from the body and go over there. Cut the arm off, and it'll be useless laying on the ground. We belong to a body. And when we say, I don't need the body of Christ or the church, we're a useless arm laying over there. Furthermore, every time we isolate ourselves as believers, we enter into danger zone and we'll be defeated. It's like the picture of this lamb apart from the flock being pursued by a predator. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to isolate us when we're discouraged, when we feel like we don't measure up, when we get depressed, or when we get really arrogant and prideful. I don't need the church. I don't need anyone. I, I can, me and Jesus, me and God, we got it together. When we isolate ourselves, then Satan says, I love it. I have, have them right where I want them. We need each other. Church, worship, small groups, discipleship groups, coffee groups. Um, we need the people of God, and they need us. The sixth command is to give thanks. Verse 4, give thanks to him. And to give suggests intentionality behind our offering thanks to God. It's an offering, like we give money. It's an offering of thanks. We say, I'm going to celebrate Thanksgiving, and we go have food, and we never give thanks to God. We just celebrate a holiday. Pastor Dan Perry from New Gotland Covenant Church, who used to attend here and is uh, family attends here still, um, the daughter, son-in-law, and grandchild. Um, they attend here, but Dan Perry says, this is how I practice Thanksgiving. And he's a man who is very positive and encouraging. He's sort of like Caleb, you know? Isn't he, Katie? Yeah. Um, he's very encouraging, very, a great man of God and pastor. He says, I practice the ABCs often. When I wake up, I go in my office and I do the ABCs of Thanksgiving. I go through the entire alphabet. And I thank God for every letter. I thank you for A, God, and for B. No, he says, I thank you for um, what starts with A. I thank you for the autumn weather. Yeah, there you go. Thank you for the Oakland A's. No, I, uh, secondly, B, I, I thank you for breakfast this morning. He goes through the entire alphabet. He can't make it past X. No, I'm kidding. But he, he goes through the entire alphabet because he, he disciplines himself to do so. And I read about uh, how garages became a popular trend in the early 1950s when normally people were building one-car garages. It was a thing, and people were all excited. Not uncommon, though, today to see three-car garages, storage sheds, extra attic space, basement, sheds in the backyard, and yet, isn't it amazing that the more we have, the less thankful and the more complaining we can be? Yes, it is amazing. And I find myself 
a product of my generation. I can complain too. Like last Tuesday, I got up and I was really dragging for some reason. I wanted to go home and sleep the day away or just veg out, do nothing. But I had a lot of things going. Tuesday was busy and it, oh, I couldn't. I didn't want to look forward to that. I had little joy in my life as I was driving uh, to do an errand before work. And I remembered the passage that I was supposed to be uh, preaching on, which is Psalm 100. And so I thought I better start applying this right now. So I began to thank the Lord as I was driving. And I thanked him, first of all, for the new day and the sunshine. It was a beautiful day. Leaves were falling right in front of me all over. And I thanked him for beautiful leaves falling and the ones that were still attached to the trees. I thanked him for the Christ-honoring music that I was listening to on the Christian radio station. I thanked him for the privilege to be a pastor of a church, for friends that I meet with for coffee and for lunch and small groups and whatnot. I thanked him for the staff and leaders I get to partner in ministry alongside. I thanked him for the many ministries emanating from this church, like Operation Christmas Child for the fifth straight year um, of gathering boxes from the county. Uh, for the Community Foundation honor that McPherson Housing Coalition received at the Opera House this past week. I thanked them for um, the CR meal that I was about to partake in on Tuesday night, and it was amazing. I thanked them for the home that I was able to return to at night and for my wife who was waiting for me there after a long day, and she got home before I did. Um, it ended up being a really, really good day. But it started off really, really bad. And, and I, I saw that God's word is true. He's faithful God when you apply his word to your life. And then finally, the last imperative is to praise his name. Or the, or the word could be used bless in other translations. Bless his name or praise. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, means praise. And what do we praise? We praise his name. What, what's his name? His name in scripture is Yahweh. They wouldn't, be, they wouldn't even pronounce it in the Old Testament. It was that holy. But then in, in English, they added vowels in between and made Jehovah. But it means the existing one, the one true God, Yahweh, the Lord, is in Greek. The Lord, L-O-R-D, when in capital letters. A missionary eye doctor once said he treated people with eye disease, that which would cause people to go blind in this tribe. And, and he said, and the funny thing was, no one ever said thank you to him because it was not in their dialect. There was no such word. Instead, what they said was, I will tell your name. To show appreciation, they would go and tell of the one who saved their eyesight. And we praise the Lord by proclaiming his name and his deeds, the one who's blessed us in so many ways, by testifying to his great name. And I do this oftentimes in my, my discipleship groups. I encourage the guys, what, how did you see God work this last week? Let's, let's begin the meeting this way. I call it I Spy. How have you seen God in you through you or around you because God is doing something all the time. Do we have that spiritual eye to see what he's doing in us, around us, or through us? If we're not looking for it, we won't see it. But if we're looking for it, then we'll come back and we'll be able to testify and praise and bless his name together and give him glory. We call them God appointments. 
And when we do so, we are a person of praise. In verse 5, because the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's pray. <clears throat> so, Lord, the, for the privilege of being here once again and watching online, God, we are grateful that you are here in our midst. As if, even though we can't see you physically, visibly, you are here as if standing right in front of us, Lord, and you desire to draw near to us as we worship you and praise you. So I pray, God, that you will be faithful once again to meet us right where we are and that we will indeed be faithful to be people of praise in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.